Good morning and welcome to Faithfully Memphis. I'm Scott Walters, Rector of Calvary Episcopal Church in downtown Memphis, a congregation in the Diocese of West Tennessee. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. you can hear conversations here with interesting people about how faith matters in their daily lives, matters to our city, and matters to the world. We're broadcast from WYXR 91.7 FM in Memphis, Tennessee. We like to begin these shows with uh, Saint of the Week. And uh, all you Polycarp of Smyrna fans out there are in luck. I know you've been waiting all year to hear about dear old Polycarp of Smyrna, but just humor uh, the ones who don't know about our friend. I'll give a little background. Polycarp was Bishop of Smyrna, city in the, on the west coast of what's now Turkey, and was martyred in the year 156. He was 86 years old at the time. So this is a long time ago in a land far, far away. And in some ways, this story is sadly familiar to us humans. Religious persecutions happen wherever people are religious, and religious people are often on the giving and the receiving end of these persecutions. I guess in part because most humans in history have been religious in some way, but we've also too often used our religion to define other people as outsiders and enemies, as sinners and apostates and such. Now, I'm not actually a scholar of Polycarp, but here's my connection with his story. When I was studying at Virginia Seminary, I heard then Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams, speak about interfaith dialogue at a conference at Georgetown University. And he began that talk with a scene from Polycarp's martyrdom. True story. Since Polycarp was so frail at the time of his trial, he's 86, right? The magistrate in charge of things offered to call the execution off if the old bishop would just acknowledge the divinity of the emperor and say, away with the atheists, which is also what the screaming mod in the mob in the amphitheater where he, were, where he was standing was chanting, away with the atheists, away with the atheists. Now, you might think at least the last part would be easy for someone in Polycarp's line of work. A good bishop is supposed to be reducing the number of atheists in the world, right? But here's the thing. Polycarp was actually one of the atheists the Roman emperor was trying to rid the world of. Polycarp was a Christian, and Christians and Jews not only rejected the divinity of the emperor, but of the whole pantheon, pantheon of gods as well. So by the emperor's lights, these people barely believed in any gods at all. The Jews definitely said there's just one. Christians were still trying to figure out how it might be that this Jesus guy could be the fullness of God walking among us without saying God's more than one. But either way, from the emperor's perspective, these people disbelieved in so many gods. They're atheists about all gods but one. So Rowan Williams reminded us that atheism isn't just one thing. It's not believing in something. It's not believing in something, right? And there are a whole lot of possible gods one might not believe in. So, whether it's a dialogue between Christians and Muslims, or between a Baptist and an Episcopalian, or even between a religious believer and an atheist, a really good and generous question might be, so tell me about the God you don't believe in. I might actually not believe in that God either. And that might be a point of connection rather than division. Might actually open up conversation rather than shut it right down. Atheism. 
That was Ron Williams' model for increasing understanding and meaningful dialogue between people of different faiths, different cultures, people who use different language about the mystery at the source of our lives and loves and might have different ways of talking about what it means to be human or what's beautiful or good or true. Because what might happen if Rather than assuming we know what wrong idea is in the head of some person across some divide, we admitted what we don't know and entered into a conversation, real conversation, which is not an exchange in which the perfectly right idea in my mind gets transported unscathed over into yours, dislodging whatever nonsense you believe. Real conversations, conversations between people who are not only open to being changed, but who expect to be changed by the perspective of another human. Because until I talk to you, I can only see what the world looks like from right here, which doesn't give me access to much of it at all, does it? The life of faith isn't meant to break the world apart into ever smaller ideological cliques and camps, pushing out the bad folks until we're huddled together with a few true believers just like us. It's meant to make us humble about what we think we know or believe about the mystery at the heart of our lives, which can actually break us out of the prison of our own smug certainty and self-righteousness and open us up to the lives and wisdom of more and more of God's children until all of us and all means all are finally free. You're listening to Faithfully Memphis on WYXR 91.7 FM.
Welcome back to Faithfully Memphis on WYXR 91.7 FM, Memphis, Tennessee. Our first guest today is Heidi Rupke. Heidi is coordinator of Calvary's Lenten Preaching Series. Um, welcome, Heidi. Thank you. I, uh, I know you can appreciate what I did with the song thing right there. Uh, that was John Kilzer and Kirk Whalem, a couple of names that... Uh, are familiar to fans of the Lenten preaching series. What's their connection? Yes, uh, both John Kilzer and Kirk Whalem have been preachers at Lenten preaching series. And uh, Kirk is actually coming back again this year. Uh, we lost John just two years ago, just a week before he was supposed to come to Lenten preaching series uh, in 2019. So. Yeah, that was a hard week. Um, he was gonna actually appear with Kirk Mm-hmm. They were going to be together that week, and Kirk went ahead. In fact, folks can go on Calvary's website and find old video of Lenten preaching events. And I commend scrolling through and finding Kirk's tribute to John mm-hmm. a few days after we lost him. And further back, John's uh, last sermon talking about his his journey through basketball and literature and music and addiction and grace and religion. And it's really, really brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. Well, tell us, tell us about this Lenten preaching series. Um, tell us what it is. Where does it come from? What's it for? So Lenten preaching series is a noon preaching series offered by Calvary Episcopal Church in downtown Memphis started in 1923, and its famous uh, partner in Lent is the Waffle Shop, which started in 1928. And it's changed a lot over these almost 100 years, Um, whereas in the beginning, it was probably uh, white men in the pulpit because that was the time, and women were cooking the waffles and uh, so on in the basement. that those groups have shifted over the decades. Uh, now we have more variety upstairs. We have women, we have uh, poets, we have scholars, we have um, 
people of different faith backgrounds. And um, honestly, one of the most uh, traditional figures of Lenten preaching series right now is Micah Greenstein, the rabbi of Temple <laughs> Israel. So yep. um, it's always centered around a sacred text, but it's available to anyone, uh, regardless of your faith, your background, your doubts, your questions, your situation. You're welcome to um, and take part in this sacred space. It really has become interfaith. I, it, it reminds me of a a couple of years ago when uh, the Friday of the mosque shootings in New Zealand, mm -hmm. we were just, uh, Omid Safi was about to step into the Calvary pulpit and uh, spoke to that event. So uh, really just amazing series that's um, lived through all kinds of moments in our, right. in our story. And yeah. this year we're having uh, Jamar Tisby, who's the president of The Witness, a black Christian collective. Um, if you have been watching the news at all this year, you will know that there have been a lot of questions about racial justice this past year. And a lot mm -hmm. of people asking, well, what do we do? What What's next? How do we think about this? And Jamar is one of those people who can help us to think about what to do. He has just written a new book called uh, How to Fight Racism, uh, Courageous Christianity and um, I forget the rest of the subtitle, but how to fight racism. And it's a very practical guide to what's next for people of faith who want to seek racial justice. Yeah, Jamar's remarkable. I read his, his first book, Color of Compromise. He really wants to take his own religious tradition, Christian people, to task as to our complicity in racism and how mm -hmm. can we be part of of responding in faithful ways. Yes. Who, who else is coming this year that we ought to note? Well, if you have a thing for poetry, I I, uh, I, I've heard you do. Uh, Padraig Otuma is coming. He's a poet from Northern Ireland and he has a wonderful podcast. You can uh, warm yourself up for Lenten preaching series by listening to his podcast, Poetry Unbound. It's become both my husband's and my favorite pot, new podcast this year. Um, it's it's amazing what a few words um, thoughtfully put together can mean just uh, in a few minutes of your day. Um, I commend Padraig highly. I commend uh, James Lawson, Reverend James Lawson to you. Mm -hmm. He was a civil rights leader. Uh, he lived in Memphis and was actually part of the group that called Dr. King here for the uh, sanitation worker strike in 1968. Uh, he's recording a sermon and sending that in for us. Uh, I'm excited about Margaret Renkel, who is a, a an opinion writer for the New York Times and published a beautiful book called uh, Late Migrations, Reflections on uh, Love and Loss. Um, and, um, I'm also excited about Judy Fentress Williams, who is oh, a, yeah. a professor at the Virginia Theological Seminary and a powerful preacher. She was my Old Testament professor, Hebrew scripture professor in seminary, and she is brilliant and compelling. Yes. So I, I Great. there's no misses this year. Whatever you show up for is going to be pretty exciting. Okay. Well, tell us how it works this year. Tell us, because uh, it's... we. Uh, I checked, we're still in a pandemic. Yes, yes. Um, so this year, um, our hospitality 
is more of a technological one. Uh, everything will be available on Calvary's website, which is calvarymemphis.org, uh, and also available on Facebook and YouTube. And through the magic and, and skill set of a lot of people, um, there will be some music and the preaching. And if you're watching from home, it'll all come out as one service, no matter where it, where it came from. There are three preachers who will be coming in person, however. And for those three preachers, which would be Kirk Whalum, Jamar Tisby, and Reverend Meredith Day Hearn, you can sign up through Calvary's website to attend in person. That will be for 32 family units who will be masked and socially distanced. And speaking of signing up on the website, I know that a lot of people are going to be curious about what's happening with Waffle Shop this year, and that is through takeout only. And you also need to order through the website at least 24 hours in advance. And I checked bef- uh, this morning to see if it would work. Uh, so an easy way to remember the website stuff, calvarymemphis.org slash LPS for yes. preaching series. Yes. Or calvarymemphis.org slash Waffle Shop. Either of those will take you right to the page where you have information on that event and you can um, the sign up. And the menu for Waffle Shop is all up. And when it's close to the time, then the uh, the, the pay wall thing will go up as well. So um, great uh, interview with Michael Donahue and Jennifer Biggs on the Daily Memphian mm-hmm. uh, is one place to get a, a taste, a taste of a taste of Waffle Shop. As it were. As it were. As it were. As it were. Well, great. Um, thank you, Heidi. It's uh, great to think about this long, long tradition continuing forward in new ways. I guess that's what it's been all about all along. It's had to reboot in uh, different ways in different moments in our lives. So, Right. But always with fish pudding. So, Always with fish pudding available. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for your work. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. My next guest is Kat Gordon. Kat's Email signature says that she is a cookie enthusiast and owner of Muddy's Bake Shop. Good morning, Kat. Welcome to Faithfully Memphis. Thank you. So so I want to ask you to start with, uh, I want the origin story of Muddy's. I can imagine a tiny cat with her hair piled up on top of her head and tied up and in front of one of those little plastic Betty Crocker stoves that has a light bulb in it that's probably painted plaid, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how did it get started? Have you been a baker from way back? Yeah, I mean, you guessed it. Uh, I've actually always liked making food, and <laughs> I was lucky enough to have parents who uh, not only were enthusiastic about letting their kids come and help out in the kitchen, um, but a certain level of expectation that kids would help out in the kitchen. Um, so I think, you know, getting comfortable <laughs> with failure in the kitchen is something that uh, happened very early in young Catherine's life. So I always like to tell folks I've probably ruined more cakes in my lifetime than uh, anyone can even, even imagine, uh, which I think actually was a really big help in starting a business and becoming a professional baker. Uh, but yeah, the bakery itself, you know, I honestly, I've always loved making things and making food, but I did not consider that this would be 
an actual thing I could do when I grew up. Um, I just assumed it would be a hobby. Yeah. Um, so yeah, starting the bakery was. Yeah. Wow. Okay. You're living the dream. <laughs> yeah. It was a little bit out of nowhere and it actually, you know, for me personally, uh, was very, very tied to a faith journey. Uh, I didn't, I had never worked in a kitchen, hmm. um, had certainly ever been a professional baker when I opened a brick and mortar bakery. Uh, it came out of a small side business that I had not been doing for long. Um, but opening the bakery itself was a leap of faith that was a self-prescribed um, solution, I guess to the thing that I was looking for. I was actually, I had decided that um, my quest for certainty was leading nowhere. Um, some people have a faith crisis. I had a certainty <laughs> crisis. Um, and you know, the thirst when you're yeah. thirsty for certainty and that is a thirst that can't be quenched with more certainty. That's like drinking salt water. You know, you're just thirstier and thirstier. Yeah. So I kind of recognized that I was spiraling yeah. and decided that the only way to break that spiral was going to be to deliberately put myself in a situation where I could not control the outcome. So what about the brick and brick and mortar muddies? How did you get into that adventure? It's kind of, I was doing baking as a side business uh, while I was bad at my job, which was being a realtor. And, <laughs> you know, personally, I was kind of having, uh, I like to say some people have a faith crisis. I had a certainty crisis. And the more I was thirsting <laughs> for certainty, uh, the, the more I thirsted for certainty. You know, it was just the spiral that was going. Um, I liken it to drinking salt water where you just get thirstier, the more of it you drink. So to break that spiral mm -hmm. that was quickly spinning mm -hmm. out of control, uh, I just identified, okay, I need to do something where I am clearly not in control of the outcome. And there's a huge risk of failure. Uh, so a leap of faith. And I decided I would either make my leap of faith, opening a brick and mortar version, you know, putting my life savings and my reputation and my pride, everything on the line to open this brick and mortar bakery mm -hmm. or it'd be a literal leap of faith where I would jump out of an airplane with a parachute on my back, which I'm terrified of flying. Skydiving does not sound good. <laughs> um, and as you can see, I opted <laughs> for the uh, metaphorical. No parachute. Yeah. Um, Many, yeah Muddy's is the no parachute option. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, that's actually how the bakery began. Um, just committing wholeheartedly to something that I thought had a, a pretty strong likelihood of failure. <laughs> that's fascinating. Most, most folks would respond by going to the place where I feel like I have the most control. I'm more, I'm, I'm in the middle of my zone, my game. Um, that's a fascinating way to lean in notion of leaning into uncertainty because we might learn something along the way. Yeah. And you know, I want to make myself sound like wiser than I am. I definitely tried those tactics first, <laughs> like <laughs> trying for mm -hmm. the control. Mm -hmm. um, it just kept not working. Yeah. So had to try something totally different. Yeah. yeah. Well, the other thing that fascinated 
me about you and why I thought you'd be great to talk to on this show. Um, well, actually, one of them is that uh, this is an outlier opinion, but I actually think that your chicken pot pie is proof of the existence of God. At least it's as good as it gets. It's not the sweet stuff. It's the chicken pot pie. They're, that The universe can't just produce that accidentally. So Thank you. that's one reason. But the other reason is I'm, I'm fascinated not just with your food, but the way that you um, have, you're really in the business of people, both the people you work with and the people who come into Muddy's. I mean, when I, you've done some work with us at Calvary with our staff and with our vestry. Um, and it's clear that as amazing as the cupcakes and the chicken pie are, you're really interesting, interested in what make, makes people tick, especially as they interact with one another. Can you say something about how that part of who you are came to be? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it also just cracks me up because, I mean, as a confirmed introvert and um, extremely bossy child, I think it's important for me personally. You're a people person. There's an emphasis on people. Otherwise, it could really, it could really go the other direction. Um, but really, I think foundationally, it's all about people. You know, my business, your church, you know, Waffle shop. I mean, all of the different things that we're doing. I think the question I would pose is if what you're doing is not about people, that what is it for? Um, so, certainly for mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the bakery business, it's, I think, easier to keep that North Star because we're in the business of hospitality. You know, we are a team, um, it relies on teamwork. You know, we're so aware every single day that not one of us could do this whole thing by ourselves. So we're confronted with that every day when you're lifting 50 pound bags of flour uh, to get somewhere, you know, and it takes two people to get the trash out to the back. You know, we're so aware of the teamwork uh, Mm -hmm. that we need to have at work, but then also, you know, our customers, it's clear to us in a day, you know, we need those customers. It's not like we can just be in a hole baking for no one. Um, yeah. you know, seeing people enjoy what we've made, uh, that inter-reliance, I think is just every, every day clear to us in the business. Um, so yeah, I mean, hmm. of course everything is about people, you know, yeah. the food is a wonderful end unto itself to create something special and delicious, um, honoring those ingredients and other people's labor that went into providing those ingredients. But at the end of the day, we are making the product for the people, um, both internally yeah. and externally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so much in all faith traditions about gathering people around a common table. It's just a primal, it's it's the thing, it's both metaphor and what happens, what's meant to happen. So Muddy's is, it's a place. Now, now embedded in that, is a little is a little heartbreak, right? In this last year, because we haven't been able to gather at tables like we have in the past. I mean, what's that been like from your perspective and your team's perspective and your customers at Muddy's, where you haven't been able to maybe I, I won't put that in your mouth, but yeah, live into what you're passionate about in the same way. Yeah, so we've definitely um, had to kind of take a look at that. It's been probably one of the hardest things this past year has been 
you know, some of those, those changes in hospitality, it's really difficult to see people smile. Mm-hmm. You know, we know that they are. There's the eye smiles and, you know, we've gotten really good at kind of like a jazz hand gesture, <laughs> um, to convey enthusiasm. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I had yeah. underestimated also touch because I don't, I don't think mm-hmm. of our business as being a high touch you know, we're not going up to each customer and stroking their face as, as they place an order um, in regular time. <laughs> but I think not having touch has really made clear how often we did still, you know, brush hands with someone or a hug to, you know, a customer we hadn't seen in a long time or, you know, somebody coming in experiencing a great day or a really mm-hmm. bad day. So that's been really, really tough for everybody. And then, of course, just logistically working socially distanced. So we've reconfigured our entire kitchen mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to allow for every person on the team has space, um, you know, some personal space, space for safety. So that's been really challenging. Um, at the same time, it has created the need for laser focus on the on the vision and the mission and the values. So our systems have changed a lot. You know, how we get our product to someone, how we make our product. Mm-hmm. Um, all of these things change a lot. But one of our guiding values is hospitality. And we've had a lot of conversations on our team this year about, okay, that hasn't changed. You know, nothing about the pandemic has changed. Right. That hospitality is a really important part of what we do. It's just changed a few of our methods for providing it. So how do we need to wrestle with that to make sure that we're still creating these hospitable experiences, both in our, in our location, you know, when you come to purchase something, we want to offer hospitality, but also we see part of our job as facilitating hospitality that you might be offering to others. So you think about a birthday cake, most people are taking that birthday cake with them and they are in turn serving it to people that they care about. So how do we make sure that they are doing that, um, doing that well and doing that in ways that are special for them? You know, we just, we've been kind of holding people's hands through smaller gatherings. And, you know, we had someone who actually asked us to slice up a birthday cake because they were going to go share their birthday cake, you know, dropping off on porches (laughs) Um, and then everybody eating their birthday cake. Oh, that's fantastic. yeah. So like, how do we help people do those? So those are the That's conversations fantastic. we've had um, about hospitality and about our mission. Our mission is loving and serving our community. So like, you know, we can do that. Mm-hmm. We were yeah. doing that even while we were closed and not making any food. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's splendid. I mean, I think for a lot of us out there to consider the possibility that Muddy's a bake shop and coffee shop was able to live into their mission to the community during a pandemic uh, is so encouraging and inspiring that maybe all of us can find ways to bring people together, especially when hospitality and human connection is not less important to our lives right now. It's more crucial. We're all more aware of what we're missing in the way of touch and eating with people and all of these things. So, well, God bless you, Kat. Thank you for Muddy's. Um, thanks for what y'all do in the community. Thanks for the way you still manage to gather us um, around good food, even if it's 
separately, separate slices of cake on, in, on separate por portions. We found at Calvary, sometimes it's something carried from one person to the next. It can be that, that touch. So yeah, wish you all the best. Thanks for reminding us and that we're not to be alone. Yeah, thanks, we can be Scott. together in this. You're listening to Faithfully Memphis on WYXR 91.7 FM. You're not alone. I'm with you. I'm lonely too. What's that song? Can't be sung by two. A broken heart Isolated and afraid Open up, this is a ray I wanna get it through to you You're not alone You're not alone Every Stand in your place Every tear On every face Tastes the same A broken dream a broken heart Isolated and afraid Open up, this is a ray I'm gonna get it through to you You're not alone
Welcome back to Faithfully Memphis, WYXR 91.7 in Memphis, Tennessee. My next guest is Mac Clayton. I have to say, uh, when I was invited to host this show, whatever that means, I wasn't ready to do it because I've never done anything like this before. But I was driving down the Calvary early on a Sunday morning, and halfway down, I got a message from God that said, Mac could help you out of this. So, is that right? I showed up, and, and there we were standing in the, in the alley at Basement Church, and uh, you didn't say no. No. So, there you go. Appreciate it, man. Are you well? I am well. I am well. want to talk about the Hospitality Hub. Um and that's where you and I got to know each other. How did, I don't even know how you got involved, though. How did you get involved with the Hub? Um, I was actually a personal recruit of the director, Kelsey Johnson. He, um, he I, I was a friend of his daughter's. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically, he came. We met each other. And he was just kind of like, you know what, man? I think you can do something different than what you're doing. And I would like to introduce you to the hospitality hub. And that's how I got on board. Well, tell us about what it is. Uh, so basically, what do y'all do? basically it's a homeless resource center. Um, it's set up to help individuals transition uh, from homelessness or through homelessness. So um, mm-hmm. our mission is basically to just overcome all the hurdles or as many hurdles as we can and remove barriers that people run into when they're trying to exit homelessness, um, be it um, identification, shelter options, uh, bus passes for travel, um, just uh, food stamps, whatever it is, you can come into the hub and say, hey, I'm having a problem with this. And we got a great team of individuals who are willing to do everything that they can to help uh, you overcome your current situation. Yeah. And y'all have been on the Calvary block for a while in a building just the South of Calvary, but you've moved and kind of expanded some of the things, or at least in the future, you're going to be expanding some things. Tell us about the new place over on Washington. All right. So um, before the pandemic hit, (laughs) we start every other sentence every every yeah every other sentence right um we were building a women's shelter and relocating Mm -hmm. the main hub office uh connecting those two sites um the city uh we work with the city to get the old inspection station at uh 590 washington um and across from union mission right at popular high street uh, by mm-hmm. juvenile court and we had an idea the city wanted us to do an outdoor plaza or outdoor park where the homeless community could gather and hang out basically without feeling um chased out or they can find comfortability and also um assistance while they're there so they had this idea to put this plaza together and we started doing the plaza because it was easier than the actual building. And mm-hmm. then the pandemic hits and the plaza turned out to be the best thing that could have happened during such a um, worldwide situation where mm-hmm. we can operate outside social distancing um, and also give the service that the people need 
in that one location. So it's it was a plan that wasn't planned. Yeah. That should have been planned. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It out we didn't know how badly we would need it. <laughs> right. Yeah. We didn't right. know how badly we need outdoor spaces are twenty times safer right yes. now, they tell us. Yes. So I hope people will drive by. It's cool. You got decks out there that clearly have kind of rounded edges on them. Like you would, they draw you in like this place for me to sit. This isn't just a place to stand around. Exactly. Uh, Exactly. And each one of those little decks that you see with the round, they have charger ports all on the edges of them. So hmm. people can actually charge their phones Hmm. up. We have lockers there where they can store stuff and inside the lockers, there's charger ports. There's also restrooms. Because that's one of the largest issues for the homeless community is going to a private place that they can use a restroom, um, mm. wash their hands, right. uh, freshen up if they need to. Um, so to be able to offer the things that we're able to offer out of that space has been beautiful. So makes me think of two things. One, as Jesus said, what you do, whatever you've done for the least of these, you've done to me. Huh? But when I think of that space, it's the opposite of, okay, we're going to put benches here, but let's make sure we put an arm here because we don't want anybody to lie down here. Or we're going to put a little uh, ledge over here. We're going to put some spikes on it so we don't want anybody to sit on it, <laughs> right? Like the way we build a place announces what we want to happen. And yeah. what Hospitality Hub has said, what if we made a lovely, compelling place for people who don't have a place of their own? And put some attention into it and said, this is a place where I would want to be, not a place I've been consigned. Yeah. Uh, it's got these, we've, somebody thought of me when they built this place. They knew I didn't know how to charge. I don't have a place to charge my phone. Right. Um, one thing, what, a, what a brilliant idea. One thing I do love about working for the hospitality hub is they want the beauty injected into every piece of our work there's not just leftovers there's not just okay here's a space you don't have nothing so appreciate what you got there's how can we make this more beautiful how can we make this more comfortable how can we how can we make this more appealing for this group of people that's going to come down here how can we make something that we would appreciate to hang out yeah yeah and spend time in because one of the main things that has to happen or that happens in this space is the community joins together there where Mm -hmm. you have volunteers and you have social workers and you have the homeless community and you have just people riding by and saying, what is this? And end up interacting with each other. Um, there's so many different levels to homelessness. There's like, when you think of someone homeless, often you think about someone um, with ragged clothes, with a sign in their hand saying, we'll work for food or um, panhandling or something like that. But what we don't think about is the individual who just recently lost their job and is now sleeping on a family member's couch and friends couch and they're surfing around and they don't look uh worn out or or any of that stuff um but they don't have a home of their own and they want to enter a place 
that they can feel comfortable. Um, they want to enter a space that is, uh, it doesn't say rock bottom. It says developing. It says growth. It says beauty because it puts mm -hmm. you in a different mind space, a different head space when you walk into the type of environment. And I love the fact that um, I work at a place that I would probably be volunteering to be. <laughs> <laughs> I say probably. But, <laughs> I'm, well, I'm not going to tell Kelsey. All right, all right, all right. Don't that's tell, that's don't a good me. sign. Something you do. I, I love this this idea that we uh, every human needs beauty. Every human responds to a physical place that says, "You're welcome here. This was made with you in mind." No matter whether it's a, a cupcake shop like Cat has uh, or a church. And we all know how to read these messages and love what y'all are doing to actually attend to this beautiful space. And in a city, the the gift of a city when it's working is that all kinds of different people actually cross paths with each other. And there's an energy there that's not just like, you know, if you go to Best Buy, there's a huge parking lot out there and there's one thing to do there. It's a great big box. Everybody going and doing the same thing. But a city, you're packed together and you're like, you do something right. different from I. We pass on the sidewalk, and it seems like the hub's like acknowledging that we need each other. We need to be – we're bodies. We respond to each other in the environment we're in, and, and, and good new things can happen if we let people encounter one another and right. bring these services together. Right, right. What, well, what about COVID? I mean, what's – I mean, what it's done to y'all? I mean, we know that so many people – We've been told ways that we can't be in the presence of one another or we have to cover, be careful in all these ways. And I've seen it at the church. We had to completely reimagine how we um, serve neighbors. And it's 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 hard. I can only imagine what it's been for y'all, how you've had to yeah. reboot. Um, Needs haven't gotten less. Yeah, it's, it's definitely been um, difficult. Um, it's difficult because... Everyone doesn't fully understand or respect um, COVID, just to mm. be honest. A lot sure. of people are just like, you know, that doesn't affect me or it's not going to happen to me or that kind of deal. And also you're dealing with people who are in a crisis. And when you're in the middle of a crisis, um, you tend not to be thinking fully logically. And um, so with this COVID and social distancing, we had to make so many different changes on how we interact with people. Um, at first, uh, I can't, I must tell the truth. I was thinking that maybe we could do this thing through video chats, through iPads mm. and having people sitting there and kind of doing what we're doing now, like through a zoom meeting. But when you're dealing with somebody with a crisis, they don't want to deal with a computer. They want to deal with a human. They mm. want to deal with somebody that can, they can look in the eye and look them in the eye and tell them exactly um, what they can do to assist them in that time. So we got um, beyond masks, we have shields, we have desks with shields, we have facial covering, gloves, like uh, we set it up to be spaced out. We, um, we turned this small office room into a walk up uh, situation where we can still hand people their mail and still get them to uh, function and distance out. And even um, the, the 
programs had to switch out, like work local, where um, we take 10 individuals per day to go pick up trash and, and, and blighted areas around the city, according to these uh, 311 calls. And that program has expanded to where we have three vans and we can take up to three, four shifts. But with social distancing, you can't have 10 people in a van mm-hmm. going to a location. But this mm-hmm. community um, it's such a benefit to be able to go to a to go find work that doesn't that you don't have to pass a background check or a right. drug screening because you're still dealing with your addiction and but you'll work you're more than willing to work but you're just in the midst of your addiction and if there was a way that you could survive you would and the tenacity i would say of the upper management at the hub to find ways around um, to make people still be able to function and keep the employees safe has been just a beautiful situation. And like I said, I feel so honored and blessed to work at a place that um, doesn't just take it and say, hey, well, we all staying at home. It's the pandemic. Yep. Well, what about the people that don't have a home? Well, yep. let's find a way to serve them regardless of. Yeah. So we've watched it. You're saying you didn't throw up your hands and say, we don't know how to, we can't do what we're supposed to do. So we just won't do it. Y'all have right. gotten people in hotel rooms. I think you're at the Travel Lodge now where you're about to go work on things there yeah. where we've got people who don't have, you know, y'all have been so creative. Uh, well done, good and faithful friends. Well, how can people support the Hospitality Hub? Got uh, a website? Please, yes, visit hospitalityhub.org. Um, and you can see everything that we're working on from the new facility um, on Washington. Uh, we also have a new uh, facility. Um, it's called the Hub Hotel uh, because we're waiting on that shelter to be built. So in the midst of the pandemic, we found a way to house 20 women to get them um sheltered and safe and quarantined from this virus. And we've been doing that since uh, shortly into the uh, pandemic starting in, in February and March, the stay at home order. We've been, we've been with a lot of these women since then um, helping them transition. So please visit hospitalityhub.org um, and get all the information that you need from us. Visit our station at 590 Washington, ride by, um, so you can see what we're doing. Uh, feel free to make donations. Uh, if we don't take your donations, we will get them to the proper people uh, because it is a hub. So it is a place where uh, different social services uh, meet up and uh, connect. So that's, I guess that's it. Right on. Thank you, Mac. Thanks for your work. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank Get you for the, the work that you guys doing. All right. Be well, friend. All right. Peace. You're listening to Faithfully Memphis on WYXR 91.7 FM. Have faith in the good. Let your love shine through. I'm coming through. Let your love shine through. Have faith in the good. Go find your truth. Make your move. Let your love shine through. Much proof will never lose.
faith in the good. Friends, do go support Max work and all our friends at the Hospitality Hub, hospitalityhub.org. Memphis needs these people, and they're doing great, great work treating people like children of God. And COVID, friends, has been hard on local businesses. I hope you'll especially find ways to support ones like Muddy that are committed not only to giving us what we want, but to treating every person with the dignity they deserve and making Memphis and our world a better place. And do join us at Calvary Online for our Lenten preaching series or to order that great old waffle shop food this season of Lent, calvarymemphis.org. And you'll find the Episcopal Diocese of West Tennessee on Facebook, Instagram, and at episwtn.org. You can listen to past episodes of Faithfully Memphis on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please like us and subscribe. This is Scott Walters for Faithfully Memphis. Until next time, stay safe, stay positive. Oh, 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 o